Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Corey Walsh Podcast, brought to you by The Extended Cut. Today, we'll be having on Justin Rowan to talk all things Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA bubble down in Orlando. If you're a Cavs fan, you will probably very much enjoy this. If you aren't a Cavs fan, I think you'll still enjoy it if you love the NBA. It's a lot of overall NBA talk. It's not the most Cavs-heavy coverage you're ever going to get. But at the same time, if you're missing sports like we are, then you might as well just sit down and relax. Plus, this is a great interview with Justin Rowan. So let's get into it. All right, so now on the Corey Walsh podcast, we have Justin Rowan, the host of the Chase Down podcast as a part of the Blue Wire Network. Welcome, Justin. Thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. Oh, me too. There's not many people in my life I get to talk Cavs with being in uh, Connecticut. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? That's uh, something that's incredibly relatable for me. Uh, It might shock you to find there aren't many Cavs fans in Winnipeg, although I do know some Browns fans here. uh, Wow. Funny (laughs) enough. Yeah. I I don't know how that happens. Maybe it's just kind of the... uh, this shared sports pain between Cleveland and Winnipeg. I know that that was part of the draw for me. Um, But yeah, it's great to jump on a podcast and talk some Cavs. All right. Well, I got a warm up question for you here. Um, What is, uh, who's your favorite LeBron wingman of all time between these four choices? Matthew Dellavedova, J.R. Smith, Booby Gibson, or Delonte West? Oh my God. That's tough. Um, (laughs) You know, I, JR probably because I JR I connected with I in college I had a JR Nuggets jersey that that was someone that I I just always connected with everyone called me uh, JR when I was in high school and college so that was a (laughs) big part of that as well Um, but Delonte West also does have a very special part of my heart Um, but I'm gonna have to go with JR here I mean you can't go wrong with LeBron's father I guess (laughs) Delonte West (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, myself, I'm a Dolladova man. I, uh, I, I, I know like the guys on part of my take now. Like for a while, they've said they're on the Dolladova train. I find that false because they obviously were not there when the Cavs are bad, and Dolladova was still on the team, just scrapping it out. And yeah. I, he's actually the one player on this list I've actually met. I went to a Celtics and Milwaukee Bucks game, and for somehow my friend got these tickets that were like almost courtside. And when we walked in early, we saw Dolladova. He was injured at the time, and he was doing like calf warmups on the steps. And I was like, oh my god! <laughs> and I made him a poster <laughs> that said like, um, you know how uh, Bud Light's thing was? Um, they had the the Knights commercial where they yep. said, uh, what was what did they say? Now I'm for, I'm like blanking on it, but. It was like that Bud Light catchphrase. I said, like, put Kyrie in the pit of misery, deli, deli, <laughs> on the poster. And I had him at sign it. And it was probably the anyone who knew me knew that was probably the best day of my entire life. <laughs> I, I mean, shout, shout out to Deli because the, the initial version of our podcast was the Fear the Sword podcast. And he had our intro. Um, he had our, actually, he did the, uh, the intro for our podcast back when the Cavs won the championship. So he also has a very special place in my heart. Uh, I mean, you, you got to love Deli. Um, you you got to love the fact that every other team and fan base hates him. Um, oh, but yeah. he, he's given uh, the Cavs a lot of good uh, minutes over the years. It was the one bright spot for me in last year's Cavs season when he came back. It just felt like a mini version of LeBron coming home. <laughs> no, no, just... I, absolutely. It, 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 it warmed my heart for sure to, to see him back in a Cavs uniform. Yeah, and now he, I assume he'll probably stay 
because I don't know what the market for Della Dova is going to be. It's not like you look at his film. Uh, like the only thing you ever hear about Della Dova is the coaches saying he's like a great locker room guy now, because even when he goes on the, like the court, his offensive game is so poor at this yeah. point, besides just being fundamentally solid. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know why he changed up his jump shot. It, it's uh, it, it was very reliable. Like that was a big part of what he brought to the table was that three point shot. And then, uh, after he made these summer tweaks to it, it, it seems like that kind of went out the window. Although he did play well in those last five games of the season. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him come back kind of in a 15th man role. Uh, that, that seems to be his, uh, his destiny here. Yeah, we definitely need locker room guys at this point because if it looks like Tristan Thompson is going to leave, which every day it's like, he's like, you know, there's a part of his camp that's saying he wants to come back. And I feel like, but if there's going to be some playoff team that's going to throw him an amount of money that the Cavs are just going to be like, you know what, I don't think we can just match that. Yeah, so the Tristan thing is interesting because I, I have talked to, to people that know, know Rich Paul and whatnot, and there is an appetite for a one-year deal, especially with kind of the cap uncertainty. Um, there's not a whole lot of teams that want to blow their load in uh, free agency here uh, just because the next year's class is so good. But the tricky thing is, I, I mean, you look at this upcoming draft, and with the exception of uh, Danny Avdia, it's basically guards and centers. So if they draft Wiseman or Okongwu, like – there's going to be no room for Tristan Thompson on this roster because you, you still have Andre Drummond who will at least be on the team at, at the start of the season. Uh, mm-hmm. Dean Wade is probably your third center there. There's just no real space for, for Tristan if that happens. But let's say they take Denny or, or they take one of the guards or, or um, someone off the board like Devin Vassell. Um, it wouldn't stun me to see him come back. I mean, in a perfect world, you'd have Tristan as the mentor for someone like Okongwu and Drummond not in the mix, uh, mm-hmm. although they, they are going to give Drummond a look at, at the start of next season. Yeah, the Drummond thing really honestly just threw a wrench into the entire Cavaliers' outlook because it just further like divides the fans and like the, <laughs> the direction because they're like, all right, so now we have two all-stars, or I guess Kevin Love, in the case of Kevin Love, former all-star, that are like still playing pretty good basketball, but at the same time you put them on this team that is 95% getting looks to the young players who yeah. are very inexperienced and are very up and down. Yeah, it's such a bummer that this draft is so or perceived to be so historically bad. I mean, I guess there's a It's the most cap thing ever, honestly, because it reminds me a ton of the Anthony Bennett draft class where we got the number one pick. It's like, oh boy, who will we take? Nerland's Noel? Oh man, awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of turd sandwiches out there. And like, if there was a Cade Cunningham in this draft or, or someone that could play the three, there is a very like, logical way to go which is you'd have whichever two of garland sexton and kim porter jr are playing best at the time of training camp you you have an open competition there for the two starters you'd have cunningham start at the three with kevin love and andre drummond you'd still probably lose a decent number of games just because you're relying on young guys to be productive but that's a team that makes a lot of damn sense and Mm -hmm. would probably be playing pretty well like they would at the very least be entertaining and probably a tougher game than most uh, actual playoff teams would be expecting. Um, but that's just not the case. You, you don't have any guys in this draft that are a clear fit that uh, would step in and are able to absorb that kind of usage and, and be 
um, a clear franchise cornerstone in year one, like someone like a Luka Doncic. Um, so you're, you're just stuck in this bad timing for the Cavs where they're likely going to have to part with Drummond and, and Love at some point um, mm-hmm. because they, they can't really provide that proof of concept that, hey, this might be something that works. I think, honestly, my worst nightmare is that we get the first pick because I really don't know what the heck Kobe Altman's going to pick because you can't even <laughs> bait to look at any of the moves he's done in the past two years and be like, oh, okay, that's a direction that makes sense. Because after right. taking Colin Sexton, we take Garland, who had very minimal film. It was totally the prospect that was, hey, this guy could have massive Kyrie Irving upside because, you know, Kyrie didn't play in college, and that really worked out well for us. Mm-hmm. And No, I just, Absolutely. I feel like if anything, we picked a guard a year like too early. Like we should have like waited one year between Sexton's development and just this year, the being the third year of our rebuild, and been like, you know, now's the time to take a second guard. Yeah, no, no, I, I definitely hear you there, and that's uh, that's not a uncommon uh, kind of refrain when it when it comes to the Cavs team building. Um, the tricky thing is, so I, I guess that what they did was one, they didn't really expect Garland to be available. They they thought he would have gone in the first four picks in the draft, um, and they perceived that as the highest upside play. And at that point, both Colin Sexton and the team itself did not view Sexton as a point guard. They Sexton views himself as a combo guard and the team views him as that as well. And with a six, eight wingspan, you would hope that once he starts kind of dedicating himself to the defensive end, he can be a a George Hill or Eric Bledsoe type that can defend up, right? That can defend multiple positions. So they, they took a point guard because they, they thought that Garland had the, the highest upside and, um, I would be hesitant to write him off just yet. Like I do like him more than the guard prospects in this draft. Mm-hmm. If he is the player they drafted. Now there are still questions on how he's going to bounce back from the surgery. You have to factor in the fact that this is basically a high school to pro prospect. He did yeah. not have an off season last year. Um, he basically was not healthy even in um preseason like he wasn't cleared for full contact until that point so he's playing with basically a high schooler's body because he couldn't build that up um he wasn't healthy at the start of the season um he's his play progressed like when you look at it the last two months of the season you're looking at someone that is averaging about 14 points and five assists it's pretty easy to kind of project that out to be someone that's averaging like let's say with modest growth 17 and 7 um which is obviously a different tier of guy Now, the one advantage the Cavs do have, and I I think this is a a huge deal for them, is the fact that with COVID, the draft is now in October, and they are going to have a mini camp before then. Like, at the very least, they are going to have practices and mini camps. They actually get to look to see what Darius Garland looks like after a full offseason. If he isn't the player that they drafted and if he hasn't shown growth, then you can actually make an informed decision and, and draft a LaMelo baller or one of the other point guards that are in this draft. Most teams don't get to do that. You have to make that decision in June and wonder, oh, crap, is this going to look dumb when the guy we drafted last year looks like the guy that we thought we were drafting? So that, that's a really good situation and one of the few bright sides with this damn virus. Yeah, no, I am in the camp that I'm not that down on Garland. I'm not like – I feel like it. it's – Darius Garland splits Cavaliers Twitter more than anyone else, I feel like, on the team. Or I guess him and Sexton actually probably share that because, like, I think the inner circle who, like, Colin Sexton 
will like just be like, oh, he's an all-star in the making. And then that's like 30%. And then 70% of Cavs fans are like, yeah, you know, he's going to be a good six man. <laughs> I mean, we, like, did this, we did this last time with Kyrie and Dion. Like, it's, I do not understand the need to kind of put two Cavs players against each other. It, it doesn't make sense. No, not at all. I think, um, I honestly think it's Garland shows. Situation. Yeah, just let's let's just not hope it turns into a punch in the face that the team tries to cover up between the two of them. Oh my god! Hey, you do. Um, I I remember what actually happened there. Do Do you remember that game? So what happened in that game was, or at least what I had heard was, one Corey Brewer took Kyrie out of that game. He elbowed him in the eye, um, and Kyrie didn't return to action. Then there was Dion accusing Kyrie and Tristan of buddy ball. Um, in the locker room. And then what reportedly had been said was after that, Dion um, had accused Tristan of being gay and there was all <laughs> kinds of things, which is hilarious in retrospect. But uh, that, that was one of the accounts of what caused the locker room uproar and fighting there, uh, which is just, it's hilarious to look back on. It. And it's amazing that the Cavs always seem to find this level of dysfunction. Yeah, that, was I think was that the same year with Andrew Bynum or not really I can't remember no I think that was the year before I think that was the year before and then they had a press conference where Kyrie and Dion cleared the air that they don't hate each other even though they clearly did not get along um, <laughs> it's not like it, Bradley Beal and um, John Wall where they like hated each other for a little bit and now they're like oh yeah this is gonna be awesome they just still <laughs> hated each other like the whole time <laughs> yeah yeah D- Dion was always convinced that he was the better of the two players which uh, I I don't necessarily agree with <laughs> and neither did lebron because he shipped him out really quick <laughs> out of everyone else that and that true. letter where he's like man i can't wait to mentor Dion waiters it's gonna be awesome then 10 games in he's like you know what i'd rather take jr smith at this point so thank you and now he has both <laughs> and now it's the holy trinity of Lakerland. is <laughs> it's and anthony davis is nowhere in the picture <laughs> yeah absolutely uh so the thing about kevin love i think that's very interesting is that those who are outside of the Cavaliers like fan base is all think that he is very overrated at this point. But I tend to be on the side that I think the way that people look at Kevin Love now is like that he's, which is very valid that he's very frail, honestly, at this point. He gets injured quite a lot. But also everyone's like, well, he's not Minnesota Kevin Love anymore. And I'm like, well, no shit he's not Minnesota Kevin Love anymore. He lost like 50 pounds, which changes his whole game from like inside to all perimeter based. He also got the LeBron Chris Bosh treatment of being like, all right, you're the third wheel. So you're automatically worse because people didn't appreciate the smaller things he did. But now that he's by himself and he's not putting up astronomical, like 26 year old Kevin Love numbers, people think he's not worth it. I think any team that really was looking for like a very good third wheel on their team could do no better than finding Kevin Love if they had the cap room. Yeah, I, I do think that there is still an opportunity for him to contribute. It was funny because those early years, you, you look at the possession by possession numbers with Kevin Love, and uh, he was very similar to Minnesota. It wasn't as much of a drop off as people said, but it was also fair to note, hey, this guy's standing around a little bit more because that's kind of what the Cavs offense had him do. Uh, it's also probably fair to note that it will have been seven years <laughs> since he's yeah. in Minnesota. Like, dudes get older. Um, I, I do think one of the things I'm kind of keeping an eye on is uh, when it comes to the Cavs and Brooklyn, because Brooklyn wants to get um, a, another star in, and they're going to try to target Bradley Beal. They're, they're going to try to get another all-star in there. 
But if they can't, I, it wouldn't stun me to see them go after Kevin Love just because he and Kyrie do have a good relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's also just one of those situations where once you're kind of option A and B are gone, you, you look at other guys. And, and I agree with you that Kevin Love would be a great fit there uh, alongside Kyrie, um, Dinwiddie, Durant, DeAndre Jordan. Um, and especially if you, you get a Karis Levert back for the Cavs, you, oh. they were able to swing something like that and, and take on some salary. Maybe, maybe you give up a pick or something. Um, I would jump all over that. Oh, I would too. Honestly, I, I, I hate the idea that like when like Winhorst like talks about the love market, he's like, well, you know, the Cavs would be lucky if they got like a 2024 second round pick for him. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's, it's Kevin Love. It's not like we're like, oh, we just signed Jordan Bell, but you can have him for that pick. Like that's right. the value I would assign with it. Not Kevin Love. It's like we're like, it's like a, we're supposed to be like a charity to give away this very solid player that teams would definitely benefit from having. Well, that, that seems to be the way that the NBA is often covered, though, unfortunately, which is if you aren't a contender, you are a farm team for a contender. And um, yes, Kevin Love is overpaid um, and money is going to be a little tighter for teams. So at the end of the day, like the Cavs don't have a gun to their head. Like, yes, Love would prefer to be out, but he is still under contract and they aren't forced to move him. So mm-hmm. uh, they're going to try to get value for him. Maybe at some point they decide, hey, we, uh, we've kind of had enough. We'll take just expiring contracts. We don't really need real value in return. It might get to a point it might, uh, where, where it's just toxic enough that they want to get out of that. Um, and who knows, with, with the league trying to figure out how they're going to handle this virus situation, maybe there's an amnesty clause or something where the Cavs try to do Kevin Love a solid where – they uh, they null his contract and he's able to go where he wants. But until something like that comes up, uh, they're they're going to act in their own best interest, which isn't giving him up for nothing. Yeah, I mean Kevin Love for the majority of the season under Beeline was he looked miserable after like the sixth game where everyone's like, you know, this Cavs team is sneaky good. <laughs> it was like that uh, the jump segment. I just like I feel like they talked about how the Timberwolves and Cavs were the two shocking teams in the first three weeks. Oh, and I was like the days. I was like, oh nice. All right. You know what? This is looking nice. I, I see the beeline ball and then it just slid completely off <laughs> the rails. It's once it ends up on the jump. It's like once Carl Anthony Towns shot that and Andrew Wiggins were like, hey guys, you know, you said we were gonna be terrible. And now we're like 10 and 6. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it really it all went downhill when uh, Bayline uh, killed Dylan Windler in, in Vegas. <laughs> really. Poor guy. Poor, poor damn guy. But, I mean, that's, that's another thing to look forward to next year, I guess, is the Cavs are going to be integrating two first-round picks into next year. Like, I, I still think Dylan Windler, like, the organization 100% feels that Dylan Windler is someone that's going to be able to contribute and is a good prospect. Like, they love what they see from that guy in practice. Uh, they, they really think that he can um, do what Kevin Herter did for Atlanta or Duncan mm-hmm. Robinson with Miami. Um, so it, it'll be really interesting to see what impact he has in year one, because that, that could be a big time difference maker. 
Yeah, we definitely need some more three minutes because I feel like that's the position that the Cavs have none of. <laughs> is... Yeah, we, which kind of echoes the the last time LeBron left. <laughs> yeah, we just can't seem to replace one of the best players in the league and one of the greatest players of all time. It's interesting, but don't worry, Jetty Osmond's development is slow and not noticeable. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Shout out to Jetty. I he'll he'll get a shit on from time to time. Uh, I love really, Jetty <laughs> for a second round pick that is is being paid like ninth man money uh, for the next like four or five years. That is a good outcome for that draft pick. So he just should not be your primary wing defender. Like he should not no. be defending other teams, number one's options, and he's not a starter. So uh, the, the sooner we can get someone that's actually suited for that role, the better. Yeah, no, I think I feel like the same way you do how Jetty is basically like a very good rotation player that's currently being trapped in a starting three spot where he's like the skill gap between the people he's going up against is so big. And besides that one between the legs throw, that was definitely by accident. <laughs> <as the assist. laughs> but outside of that, I, I just think Jetty Osmond is very solid. I don't think he deserves to get the crap that people do because people, when LeBron left were like, you know what? LeBron loved Jetty. And he had that one picture where it was him, Kawhi, like LeBron. KD, and Yeah. yeah and then Jetty's just in the back, like some cool kid who like some little kid who saw it, like, them at like a random movie theater it was like can I get a picture with you guys <laughs> but I think Jetty's very good I don't I I'm glad we signed him I'm glad we find we have like one bench player locked in <laughs> yeah yeah no kidding there's teams in the right now that are like scrambling to get their bench players so <laughs> you know what they, they would do well to have a Jetty Osmond I, I firmly believe that I do too <laughs> uh so in terms of rookies past Zion and John Morant I feel like our most promising rookie right now is obviously Kevin Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, where do you think, like, rank Kevin Porter Jr. among rookies past those two? Like, if you had to, pow- like, power rank them in a way. Ooh, man, that's tough. So, I definitely have him in the top 10. Um, like, that was a guy coming into the draft I had as a top 10 pick. So, for mm-hmm. him to be available to the Cavs to, to get for essentially nothing – um was incredibly exciting to me um i i mean brandon clark was another guy that uh, was outside of the lottery that i was incredibly high on and he kind of proved himself to be an impact player year one Mm -hmm. um i probably have him behind him right now uh clark that is but not in terms of of, uh, upside like in upside i think that kevin porter jr can absolutely be a top five player from this draft i think he's going to be someone that the entire league basically regrets passing on um he is 100 the, the highest upside guy on the Cavs, and the, the most encouraging thing to me was everybody knew he could create his own shot he's obviously working on the form to get that a little more consistent but the fact that that guy was probably and statistically was the Cavs' best perimeter defender already when that was possibly a weakness for him or, or something that he needed to put more focus in that really screams, okay, the, the cats have something on their hands. The, this is going to be someone that really, really matters for this franchise and, and is absolutely a franchise cornerstone. Yeah. Kevin Porter jr. To me was definitely the most exciting because Darius Garland did have some great games, but Kevin Porter jr. Would like have a takeover factor in a game when like Colin Sexton wasn't scoring at the clip that he was doing for a majority of the year, you would see that Kevin Porter jr. Would be that type of player to just step up like against my, I think of the game against Miami that one towards the later end of the season where Kevin Porter jr. Was just hitting 
contested threes with his like mm-hmm. weird little to the left side step three where it looks like he's like fading back so far he's like just gonna fall over <laughs> <laughs> which they say is uh something they're gonna work on in the offseason i think that they're gonna adjust his jump shot a little more because it does look a little uh quirky in a way <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, and as the season went on, his release point got higher, too. Like, that was one of the main things that I noticed. And um, full credit, like, the Cavs haven't nailed the head coaching spot uh, over the last few years. I think that's fair to say. There's a lot of turnover there. Um, But it does seem like this group of assistants is really, really good. Like, I I know Lindsey Gottlieb has been huge for the development of Kevin Porter Jr. Yeah. Worked with Colin Sexton, uh, J.J. Outlaw with uh, Darius Garland. Um, there's a lot of guys on that coaching staff that um, have really stepped up, and I, I think it's a great group. And I think one of the most encouraging things, even though Bickerstaff is still kind of unproven as a head coach, he does have a lot of years, in, or not a lot of years, but he has a lot of reps with that coaching staff. He has relationships with those assistants. And I think that helped him hit the ground running when he took over as head coach. So I think that that's something that's going to translate um, move, moving forward with this team. Yeah, the thing about head coaches in the NBA, I feel like, is the biggest issue for a new coach going into an organization is he needs to have like the credibility of being in the NBA because I think one of the biggest issues with Beeline besides his age was that with the players was that he's not really relatable in the sense of the NBA. Like NBA players usually, especially now, have spent one year in college. So they're not going to have like this vast amount of respect for a college-like atmosphere when they tr- they barely were in it in the first place. So when Beeline automatically was like, all right, guys, we're going to do things the Michigan way. Mm. The very, very few players, I think were like any of the players who weren't rookies were like, I don't want to do any of this crap. <laughs> like right. that was the most common complaint was that everyone's like, he runs us like we're still in college and we're playing such a limited amount of games. When it's written reality, it's like four times the amount of games and we're still doing so many practices. Yeah. And, the tricky or not tricky but the disappointing thing was he like in college you want a lot of those coaches want to get the credit for what they're doing and what they're running right so you don't see a lot of isolation ball you don't see a lot of pick and roll which is really the bread and butter when it comes to nba offense Mm -hmm. and kind of read and react from there and there was just so much dribble handoff and, and kind of crap along those lines and the most disappointing thing was Colin Sexton's biggest strength at Alabama was in the pick and roll, making decisions out of there. He was a real deadly pick and roll threat. Kevin Porter Jr., fantastic player in the pick and roll. Darius Garland makes good reads out of the pick and roll. Like uh, he, he probably had the, the best vision out of the rookies when it came to finding guys in those opportunities. And for those guys to not get their bread and butter sets, um, I, I think it really contributed to the struggles that they had. And I, I think it's disappointing that we, we didn't get to finish this season and see those guys playing NBA offense. Like, it, it's funny. People talk about the rookie season that Darius Garland had. Colin Sexton had arguably the worst rookie season ever up until the All-Star break. And, and after mm-hmm. that point, he really started playing well and giving Cavs fans a reason to be excited and say, hey, look, this kid, he's improving. He's got something here. Uh, Darius Garland, Kevin Porter Jr. didn't get that final stretch of the season to improve and, and to kind of show what they can do. Um, maybe, maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. I mean, not everyone improves at the same rate as Sexton, but I think we would have felt a whole lot better about the the Cavs and, and their prospects if those guys would have got that run to kind of get over the rookie wall. 
Yeah, there's like no no one that could argue who doesn't like Darius Garland to this point that he didn't show flashes of being an NBA player. He created a ton of separation off the dribble, which I feel like is a major issue for some rookie point guards. But he would get open opportunities. The shots just were not falling. And also, everyone, it seems like all the major veterans on the Cavs, like Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson and whatnot, they all really like Darius Garland. I feel like they wouldn't be back this guy if they – and they, they're always the ones spewing the quotes, being like, this guy's going to be great. You just have to give him time. I see it in practice. This guy's a dog. He's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. And the other problem, and I think one of the main reasons that was justifiable for Cavs fans was – those flashes were great, but he was so passive at times. Like there was a stretch, I believe, uh, right after the Jordan Clarkson trade where he was really good for about 15 games or so. And then it was on that West Coast trip uh, after he had a great game against Denver, helped close those guys out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and he had a great first half against the Lakers. He just kind of hit the rookie wall at that point. Um and he was just passive, right? Like, you see those flashes and the fact that he would pass up open shots. Um, and, and it wasn't really the, the gunner as advertised. Like, he was actually playing as a pass-first point guard. That's nice to, to some extent. But on the other hand, you want to see more of those flashes. You want to see the, that watermark uh, raise higher and higher throughout the season. And there just wasn't that. Yeah, no. I mean, I think that West Coast trip, I think for our young Cavs team, it's just absolutely brutal to go out West because the West is just a massive gauntlet. I like just playing against the Hawks, the Bulls, the Wizards. I like those back-to-backs. Not the, I gotta admit, I, it was fun. It was fun sweeping the Nuggets this year. Oh. Uh, winning both games against Denver is absolutely hilarious. It was shocking to say the least. <laughs> I was watching these games in disbelief. Like, are you kidding me? We just got our asses kicked by the Bulls like two days ago. You, you know what I you know? What I think it is. I, I think the Cavs have a deep-seated love for their fans and they understand that a lot of Cavs fans are doing Cavs versus Nuggets and they do not want them to die from <laughs> overeating chicken nuggets. <laughs> yeah. And then they also don't want to be like, hey guys, you know, we could have taken Michael Porter Jr. who was very beloved, but you know, we're just going to kick his ass instead, I guess, to make you forget <laughs> that we could have taken him. <laughs> exactly. I just remember watching that, that draft and we took sex and I'm like, oh my God, we could have had Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> That, that was my thought as well. I had a bit of a draft night meltdown, but uh, I got to admit, uh, Sexton has won me over uh, to, to some extent. He, he's, he's really impressed me with how hard he works. I, uh, personally, like my number one guy that I wanted in that spot was uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I know, oh, that yeah. he did, I know he didn't want to get drafted by the Cavs, but I mean, he probably also doesn't want to play in OKC, and he's playing pretty damn well. I mean, yeah. people, for, people forget that uh, Steph Curry had demanded that the Warriors not draft him. Like, he did not want to go to Golden State. That doesn't mean that you don't have control of these guys for seven years yeah. after you draft them. <laughs> like, you, you can still do it. They're, they're, they're going to collect their paychecks here. Um, so it, But the thing I really like about Sexton is I can say with confidence that whatever his ceiling is as a player – he's likely going to hit it. That guy's work ethic, he, he works so hard on his game. Um, he is going to power his way into being the player that he can become. Um, it's going to take, uh, like at this point, I know a lot of people focus on his passing, but I really think mm-hmm. defense is going to be the biggest thing for him because uh, I, I think he passes well enough for a scoring combo guard. Uh, I, I really don't have a lot of concerns as long as he continues with what we saw towards the end of last season. Yeah. Um, 
but there was no reason for him to be so bad defensively. Like he can make really big time plays on defense. He did it in close games. We know he can do it. It's it's those flashes we were talking about before. But mm-hmm. when you look at it statistically, and if you actually go back and watch all those games, uh, possession by possession, it's a disaster. Like he, um, I, I know with some metrics, he was twice as bad as Darius Garland, who had no right yeah. to be good defensively, uh, weighing 120 pounds. <laughs> like literally blows away with the wind and meanwhile colin sexton is this guy who his first adjective to describe him is effort guy so explain to me how a guy like is like his persona is maximum effort that he is such a terrible defender how do you get that label while being a terrible defender i mean all i see from him on uh, instagram right now is uh him pushing cars uphill (laughs) so you know he's getting better (laughs) (laughs) at the very least he's getting stronger so you know it's uh he's going to grin and grind his way he's going to mark a smart way into uh being a very good player yeah you know if you haven't seen an nba player in the gym doing one rep or pushing a, a car that's totally not like in park <laughs> up a hill <laughs> i can't believe that like if you saw it's like hoodie mellow syndrome like you see yeah. them doing something unrelated to basketball and you're like oh my god his three-point shots could be ridiculous. Did you see him push that yacht yesterday? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's and it's only NBA players too. Like the NFL, it's like the equivalent. I heard on a Ryan Rissolo's podcast, he was like, "It's like the equivalent of um, the the crossover videos are now these route running videos where there's no one on them, yeah. <laughs> and they're just doing like a post route for no reason with no one on them. Like, oh my god, this guy's gonna be lethal. <laughs> Do you see the way he made that cut with no one on him? <laughs> exactly. Uh, it, it, it all transfers over exactly so we just need to see a video of darius garland uh, i don't know playing hopscotch and maybe he'll get a little better you know oh man the the garland highlights uh, it's that's another reason where i'm optimistic it's, <laughs> Those, uh, I, I i know it's bs i know i absolutely know he he is uh schooling uh kind of fringe uh 10 day guys and well you know what actually in in fairness he he did uh a, some of those highlights he was training against Robert Covington. So I'll give him some credit there. Uh, but he's looking good. And that's what I really care about. Cause if he wasn't lighting those guys up, if he wasn't looking impressive, then you start to have some concerns. Yeah, no, I was going to say the only dude who seems like Darius Garland works out with is Ben Simmons, which last time I checked, if you can stop Ben Simmons in a one-on-one, just don't let him get near the inside. Just let him just shoot perimeter all day. <laughs> it would certainly help. Well, now that he's not a point guard, it should be an unfair contest because, you know, it only took four years to realize, hey, you know, this guy probably shouldn't play point guard. Yeah. Well, good thing they uh, signed a uh, power forward and a center to play with their star power forward and center. <laughs> Got to have the backups in case that breakup happens soon, which it won't. Yeah. And Brett Brown yeah, will they- probably work for three more years. The Cavs aren't the only team with uh, confusing team building is all I got to say. Trust the process, though, am I right? You just got to get rid of 95% of it and have two. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's what it's all about. All right. Well, shifting to the NBA real quick. Uh, so what are your thoughts about this bubble in Orlando? Because it just seems like the NBA, I mean, you know, Adam Silver, the best commissioner in sports, it seems like, always pushing it. It seems a lot of players are not happy about this bubble anymore now that they're living in it because let's face it the nba kind of hoodwinked the players in a way where they were like this is going to be awesome you're going to have so many things to do and then like they're like you got like pool tables video games ping pong pool water slide djs gourmet food asterisk 
<laughs> on yeah. the gourmet food. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in all fairness to the food, apparently it gets better. That's just for the first 48 hours when you're in your hotel quarantining. It's, I mean, ultimately, I, I think it's a worthwhile thing to attempt. Um, certainly, you would kind of hope that the numbers in Florida were a little bit better. Uh, they're, they're basically going into like ground zero for COVID in the United States right now. <laughs> Which is not ideal. It's the Magic I Kingdom. Feel, I feel like if you're able to get to the end of July, which is basically going to be the period where all these players are in there, they've gone through their quarantine, they're going to be able to determine whether or not anybody slipped through the cracks and got other players sick. If you can do that, I think the NBA is going to have confidence that they can pull this off without a mass outbreak. Um, which, yes, like it's if you're talking about from a moral standpoint, should they be attempting this or blah, blah, blah. Um, I mean, it's a business, right? And it's not like, even though Twitter tries to portray the players as this, it's not like these are damn coal miners that get no sandwich. <laughs> like they have a union. They voted on this. They want to take this risk. They want to go make their money. Like I understand that they make a lot of money, but if you make $23 million and you spend 25 in a year, you probably want to go make some more money. And, and you're not getting everything that uh, you were owed this season anyways, until all of this is done. Um, so I, I think it's a worthwhile risk to take. I, I have, some confidence that the NBA and Disney will have every precaution in place to try to make this as safe as possible uh, because they understand if this goes to shit and everyone gets sick and, and this is a total disaster, that's going to be very bad for Disney. That's going to be very bad for the NBA that uh, really cares about its optics. Uh, so for that reason, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic and I, I know people um, make an effort to show like they're not excited because they're, they're worried about the players and whatnot. Um, I don't have to make those decisions. I, I'm not the one that has blood on my hands. If this thing fails, I get to be a fan, you know, and everybody else does like, you're not going to get blamed if this shit fails. Like it, it's, it's, it's fine to be like, hey, I haven't had sports since March. I'm kind of excited to have a bit of a distraction because life is a little overwhelming right now. So for that reason, I, I'm excited about this and uh, hopeful that it's going to work out. So you're saying the 2K tournament didn't hold you over? It did not. <laughs> or the laggy game of horse that ESPN pushed out? <laughs> you know what? I didn't catch any of that. Uh, luckily enough, I, I managed to spare myself from that. I also didn't watch it. I just saw Twitter was like, NBA Twitter was like, this is the worst thing ESPN has ever put pumped out. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very high bar. Because, you know, now everyone's, because now with uh, the decision being, they did that backwards rewind. I don't know if you watched that on ESPN. Yeah. And everyone was like, man, that was a piece of crap. I remember, but those are people who weren't Cavs fans and watching it. So how do you think we felt that the pro production was terrible? We had to wait an hour for LeBron to tell us basically F off. <laughs> and, then yeah. and, then, and then everything commences in flames, of course. It was almost like that thing was a setup to make Cavs fans look as bad as possible. Because I mean, when most players announce their decision, it's on Twitter or it's by statement, it kind of catches people off guard and, or there was some reporting about it. No, this was an actual special where there was a designated time in prime time. Uh, ESPN managed to set up 
uh, camera crews around watch parties at bars. They drag it out <laughs> for an hour. So everybody is drunk and then a camera gets put in their face and, well, I want to get on TV, so I'm going to make the biggest reaction possible. <laughs> uh, and then you just have Cavs fans looking terrible, which if you had a set time for Kevin Durant's decision and you set up bars in Oklahoma, how different do you really think it's going to be? Are, are Cavs fans really that much worse than everybody else? Like, I think it, in a sense, it was a black eye, and especially his return. Like, it, it was not a great look, and I, I think some uh, reflection is necessary on that. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, sports are sports, and people, I, I think, generally re- would have reacted the same under those same circumstances. Yeah, I mean, if you put a camera right now at any Knicks bar during the draft lottery, you'll see the same exact reaction. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> they, they, will, they will purchase a college jersey <laughs> at that moment and then set it on fire if they hate the prospect. I didn't even want Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get Zion. I knew exactly. it. And now this will be the year the Knicks get the number one pick. You know what? You earned it. Congratulations. <laughs> You know what? LaMelo Ball is just perfect for the New York Knicks. I would be so happy if they got LaMelo Ball because, honestly, I don't even know if I would want him, and I'm scared the Cavs would even consider it because the rumor is he's the top of their board. So I have a theory about that. Um, LaMelo Ball, from everything I've heard, is on the top of a lot of teams' boards uh, that aren't in the lottery, and there are teams that are looking to trade for LaMelo Ball or at least have discussions on what they'd be willing to give up if, he was available via trade. Um, so for that reason, I think the Cavs are looking uh, from a positioning standpoint on what can we get with LaMelo Ball, whether uh, if they do get the number one pick. And that might be to trade back in the draft. That might be to trade for a young star if you're pairing that pick with Kevin Love kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many options. I, I think that they are communicating that, hey, we'll take another guard. We'll <laughs> take that number one guy. Uh, to at least drum up a little bit of a trade market. That, that's my personal theory on on Lamella Ball, but I do think that there is a definite possibility that the the Cavs would be tempted to keep and take uh, to take and keep them. I could just see the opposing fans be like, you know, they're batshit crazy enough to do it. They've already taken two guards back to back. Who's to say they just won't take a third? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if there's one thing the Cavs can bank on, it's other teams thinking that they're unpredictable because they're unpredictable as hell. <laughs> they can make them believe it because that's what they are. <laughs> exactly, absolutely. So the thing about Orlando that's also interesting is that now because we've had such a gap in play, all these narratives have just sprung up out of nowhere. That seems any team that's six seed or higher, except for Dallas, including them, I guess. Now everyone has a chance to win, mm-hmm. which I don't know if this might be mind blowing for my listeners out there, but you could win every year, technically. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yes, anyone who's in there could win, yes, <laughs> except for yes. the Wizards. <laughs> the Wizards have no chance. I'm sorry. <laughs> and there has been one eight matchups. Uh... Yeah, no kidding. Uh, there have been one eight uh, upsets in the past too, so like it's not the most outlandish thing. I do think that the playing field's been leveled a little bit. Like I, I do think um, I probably say like six or seven teams have a chance, and there's also just the reality, not just with the virus, but like dudes haven't played basketball in a long time, and I think the uh, chance for injury is pretty damn high right now. Uh, so that might open a lot of doors, but uh, I, I do think people are overstating it just a little bit with the number of uh, dark horses that uh, they're, they're kind of projecting out there. 
Yeah, so uh, actually this ties into, I was going to ask, what are your three most interesting teams right now in the bubble outside of the Lakers, Clippers, and Bucks, which everyone labels as their finals matchups? Uh, so Nuggets are up there because the Nuggets are the rare kind of organic team uh, where it's kind of like that OKC situation where it was like, okay, they're bad and young. Then they got a little bit better and snuck into the playoffs. Uh, they, they made it decently far last year. And now it's okay. Well, now everyone's claiming Jokic is a, a top 10 player. He, he's uh, some are saying he's kind of in that top tier player. So now they got to go out and prove it. Right. So uh, mm-hmm. along with the bucks, like the bucks are the other team that was kind of built organically. Uh, Denver is the other example of that. So I'm keeping an eye on them. Houston's interesting because of the, the whole no center thing uh, and kind of what the implications of that would be, whether or not that works. I don't think it's going to work, but I'm interested to keep an eye on them. Um, and uh, what, what were the teams I'm not allowed to talk about LA and uh Milwaukee yeah so the other one I'll, I'll say is Toronto um, I really like Toronto I think they're the best yeah, team in the east still <laughs> I, I think they have a legitimate shot uh, one thing that's very interesting for me is um, skinny Marcus all uh, he <laughs> lost a lot of weight and from everything I've heard uh, I take it with a grain of salt but they they're saying he looks like he did in his prime um, oh. which, if he can uh, if he can kind of recapture some of that magic there, um, that makes them potent. And, and the big thing is they have continuity, um, which a lot of these teams won't have. And I, I think that's going to be really important in this kind of tournament that really isn't connected to last season at all. You, your ability to get chemistry, to be on the same page is going to be absolutely huge. So if they're healthy. I, I think they absolutely have a chance at, at another finals here. The question is, though, how many trucks did Marcus all push during the six-month break? <laughs> it was just one. It was one big semi-truck. Oh, okay. Then he, it probably shouldn't have got that much better then. It was just one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was the weight of many, many cars. It, oh, it, oh. The weight oh. of many Colin Sexton-sized cars. <laughs> like the, uh, the cars you see on the highway that have all the, the trucks that have like eight cars on them. That was what he pushed up the hill. <laughs> exactly. He, he was uh, one, one of those flatbed carriers. That's what he was going with. Oh, dang. Marcus Hall is going to be the MVP then. I guess. He might be. He might be. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Marcus Hall is going to have more finals MVPs than Steph Curry. And that will cause a stir. <laughs> and Iguodala <laughs> will be laughing on the beaches of Miami. Exactly. That was a team that I thought was going to I, – I placed money that I thought uh, Miami was going to make a push after the, free eight, uh, the trade deadline. But as we found out quickly, Iguodala is not the same after you take like a half year break of not playing and you get a year older. So, yeah. I really hated that trade for them. Like I'm, I'm a huge fan of justice Winslow. I thought the Cavs should have been pursuing a Kevin love for Winslow swap. If you could uh, get like James Johnson in there and like mm-hmm. other filler. Um, I, I thought that that was something that would benefit both teams. Um, Cause you, you get Kevin love with Bam and, and Jimmy like that. That's, that's a hell of a lineup. And I, mm-hmm. I thought that that would be something that's good. And Jay Crowder, who we all know to be unreliable. Um, <laughs> Great guy. <laughs> and Andre Iguodala, whatever's left of him. I just don't see that moving the needle in a positive direction for them. Yeah, no. I um, The thing that I thought was weird about the trade, I thought if they got Danilo Gallinari, which was also being heavily pushed at the time. I thought that was their X factor trade that they could have got. Cause Danilo, I Me think too. is a very underrated player. He's very consistent. It's like, it's kind of like a Kevin love beef type version. 
in his prime. Like he's a very good shooter. He's one of the most efficient big men, three point shooters. And he, the only knock on him is that he's hurt. Yeah, exactly. It's uh Danilo would have made a huge difference for them. I, I would feel completely different about them. Um, but at, at the same time, I, I do think that they, they have enough at now, um, not necessarily be a contender in the East, but I, I do think that they're, they're going to be a pretty tough out for a lot of teams. All right. My last question before I, I'll let you go is, do you think after Rajon Rondo called the bubble uh, a Motel 6, do you think Chris Paul and the players union decided to take care of him by breaking his hand? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? No comment. I don't, I, I don't, uh, I don't want to see the wrath of uh, Clutch and Chris Paul and all those guys. It's, uh, it's not something that I want to subject myself to. And only, I think maybe Dion Waiters was the one who made it happen so him and JR could get those more minutes at the guard. You know what? It, it's not the most outlandish theory. <laughs> All right, uh, Justin. Thank you for coming on, and uh, hopefully we'll, I'll speak to you soon. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks again to Justin Rowan for joining us on this episode of the Corey Walsh podcast. If you like what you heard from Justin today, you should go check out his podcast, the Chase Down podcast, which is a part of the Blue Blue Wire Network. You can also find it on Spotify and iTunes. So if you really enjoy Cavaliers basketball or you just want to hear some NBA talk, him and Carter do a great job and I would highly recommend it. And thank you guys for listening and I'll see you for the next episode.